You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. for you, for me, for the entire world. You can summarize the effects of propitiation three ways. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, God's justice is now satisfied. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, God's wrath has been turned away. The price for sin has been paid. And because Jesus Christ died on the cross, God's mercy is now freely available to anybody who wants it. It's available to anybody who wants it. The penalty for sin is death and separation from God. But Jesus came to die for your sins so you don't have to be a slave to it or suffer from it anymore. As Pastor Dave tells you about Jesus' sacrifice for you, you'll get to be encouraged to walk in the light of God's Word and experience the joy that comes from it. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Divine Ideal. Walk in the light. And since God is in the light and he is the light and there's no darkness in him at all, we must walk in that light. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Simple as that. We're lying. But if we walk in the light with him, we have fellowship one to another and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us. This is good news. See, walking in the light is the real life. If you're walking in darkness, You are not being real. It is not the real life. It is a fantasy. So you have to ask yourself, is this the real life or is it fantasy? Are you caught in a landslide or do you escape from reality? Walking in darkness is escaping from reality, folks. When you walk in darkness, you are escaping from the reality of the true life in Jesus Christ, the real life that he has come to give you. It's an escape from that real life and you are deceiving yourself. Walking in the light, on the other hand, what does that entail? Well, it involves honesty. It involves obedience. It involves love. We're to walk into the example given to us by Jesus himself. He is the example that John is trying to follow. He is the example that he's trying to get us to follow also. Follow us. Fellowship with us. Why? Because we're fellowshipping with him. That's the example that John is giving us. That's what he wants us to know. John says, I write this so you may not sin. He is saying that we are no longer slaves to sin. We now have a choice. Before we accepted Jesus Christ into our lives, sin was our taskmaster. We didn't have a choice. That's what we did. That's who we were. Sin was our life. To not sin is the divine ideal. But sadly, the bad news is no one attains this. The Apostle Paul explained it in Romans. There is no one righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John is writing this letter in hopes that you recognize that you, the believer, have been given the power over sin through Jesus Christ. The power to say no. The power to take the escape that God gives you when a temptation comes along. 
How does this power come? It comes by walking in the light, abiding in Jesus Christ, and by the power given to you by the Holy Spirit. That's what we have. I love the fact that John calls us little children. Here is this probably 90-year-old guy in Ephesus now, writing, and he calls little children. Why does he call us little children? Maybe because we act like babies. (laughs) Maybe because he's calling us now children. Grow up. Come on. You don't have to sin. It's a tender call, but it's a stern warning. He warns us of the dangers of not walking in the light. The dangers of saying, I'm walking in the light when you're really not. I'm walking in the light and I'm trying to impress you by telling you I'm walking in the light. Even though my life looks like snot, I'm still walking in the light. Aren't I a great Christian? You think I'm cool, don't you? I'm walking in the light. Ha <laughs> ha. Got you fooled. Yeah, right. You can fool me all the time you want. He says, if we say we don't sin, we're a liar, and the truth is not in us. John says, you need to learn this, and the sooner, the better. This is difficult in light of our old nature, the old man. We hate sin, but we seem to fall. The Apostle Paul, things I want to do, I never do. The things I don't want to do, I do all the time. John knows our frailness. He knows our weakness. He knows our weakness is a flesh. Remember, John's a human being, all human. And he knows that we will fall from time to time, so he wants to encourage us. He wants to give us the encouragement so he doesn't stop by saying, you don't need to sin. He throws the good news at you. And here comes the good news, folks. Open your ear. Or as my biology used to say, hold on tight, we're going around a corner. Here comes good information. Look at the second part of verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you do not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise God. Praise God. John has already told us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He also said, say we don't sin, we make God a liar. So to be clear, John is not saying here that we never sin. He is not saying that. He says, if you sin, really in my case, it's when I sin. Remember, the enemy that is within, the weakness of my flesh. Remember Jesus? Can't you pray with me for one hour? Can't you just stay there and pray for one hour? Oh, the spirit is so willing, but the flesh is so weak. Our flesh is always against our spirit. Always. Enmity. And is never willing to rely on Jesus Christ for the victory. God's divine ideal is that we don't sin. But knowing us the way God knows us, loving us unconditionally, he knows that we are going to fail. He knows that our flesh will get the better of us from time to time. But he's made a provision for us, an advocate. Well, who is an advocate? Well, an advocate is a lawyer. He's a lawyer. He's a counselor. His name, Jesus Christ the righteous. The one thing that never shocks God is when we sin. He's never shocked. We're pretty shocked. I can't believe I did this crazy thing. God's never shocked. Christ is our advocate and he represents us before God when we sin. He represents us before God. He's representing each of you right now before the throne room of God, standing there. Anybody know the Greek word for advocate? Are you ready? Paracletus. Heard that word before? It's Holy Spirit. 
Comforter, exactly. Same word. Same exact word. It's the word that used for the comforter, the one who comes alongside, the counselor, the one who will lead us into all truth. When we sin, we're not abandoned, praise God. We're not left to our flesh, nor are we kicked out of the family. Thank the Lord for that. We have an advocate, one who stands before God on our behalf. He says, if we confess our sins, and somebody said, why should we confess our sins? Because we're guilty. Because we're guilty. There's no false evidence. We don't need it. We're guilty. Interesting thing about Jesus Christ is he doesn't declare us not guilty. He declares us guilty. We are guilty because we're sinners. But an advocate is an intercessor. He intercedes for you. And the one who is representing you, the one who stands there on your behalf and pleads your case and your cause is Jesus Christ. If we sin, we have Jesus up there as our advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. Why? Because he is able to do that. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, we read this. Therefore, he, speaking of Jesus, is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The beautiful treatise of Romans, in Romans 8.34, Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen? Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? What did Paul tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5? In 1 Timothy 2.5, the apostle Paul says, For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So when we sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate who stands before God in our place. He represents us to God. He is the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Now, I know you're all familiar with Job. You're all familiar with Job and his troubles. He was having all kinds of problems and his friends gathered around him and they had great counsel for him. And one of their counsels was just get right with God and everything's going to be okay. Just get right with God. Come on, you can do it. And Job looked around and said, wait a minute. Do you see the stars in the sky? Do you see this beautiful creation? Do you see everything around you? Do you see this vastness? I'm nothing compared to all this. I am absolutely nothing. How can I ever approach a God who created all this on my own and plead my case? He's so vast that I'm so nothing. The gap between us is too great. There's too big of a gap. How can the infinite reach the finite? It's impossible. Man has been trying to do this for centuries. In fact, the Tower of Babel was built for this very reason. In Genesis 11, they built the Tower of Babel so they could reach God. The Tower of Babel is like religion. Man's attempt to reach God. Man's attempt to reach in that gap. The infinite reaching up to the finite. That's religion. That's religion. But what did God do? God had a better problem infinite came down to the finite doesn't take much he came down because when you start with a finite base trying to reach the infinite it's impossible the finite can never reach the infinite no matter how hard you stretch and how hard you try and this is why we bang our heads against the wall in religion 
Because they have all these rules. If you want to get to heaven, you got to do this, 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 this. you got to climb this ladder, do all this thing. It's impossible. Because the base is finite. The base is earth trying to get to heaven. But Christianity starts with the divine. It starts with a heavenly base. It's a heavenly base. God instigated for God so loved the world. He reached down. The infinite God reached down to touch finite man. He can do that because he's God. He's the creator of the universe. And so starting from that base, God reaching down, we have success and contact be made. He reached down from heaven through a man by the name of Jesus Christ. This man was with God in the beginning. He was God. That which was from the beginning, that which we've seen, which we've looked upon, which we've heard, which we've touched, was manifested. We beheld him, we heard him, we saw him, and we declare to you that this man is God. He is the Son of God. His name is Jesus Christ. God had a perfect plan. This was the problem that Job had. God's too big. He's too fast. Here I am. Here I am. Infinite. He's infinite. I'm finite. There's no way. How can I ever approach God? The scripture in Job 9.33 says, For there is no daysman betwixt us, who can put his hand on both of us. Daysman in the original King James. It's mediator in the new King James. It has the same meaning. Someone who stands in the gap. Someone who can touch God and touch man. Job said, that's the solution. I don't have anybody. Doesn't exist. I can't do it. But God said, it can be done. I'm going to do it. I'm going to send Jesus Christ. I'm going to send him. And he will be the mediator between God and man. He touches God because he was with God in the beginning. He can touch man because he came to man. He lays his hand on both. I love that. The advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. The advocate. The advocate. Never forget you have an advocate with the Father. But where most lawyers who defend you, and if you're found guilty... They go, sorry, that'll be $7,000. And you have to face the consequences. Our lawyer, Jesus Christ, our counselor, also became our propitiation. Say that seven times. He also became our propitiation. Look at verse 2. And he, talking about Jesus himself, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus is our propitiation. He is hilasmos in the Greek. One who has paid the price for the freedom from sin. Not only mine, but the entire world. And it means that he took away the wrath of God by offering a gift. The gift was his life on the cross. The word applies to Jesus' death on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross that day, and he cried in great agony and great pain, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that very moment, it said that God poured out his wrath upon him. Poured out his wrath. All the sin in the world came upon him, and God poured out his wrath. One commentator said this. This will be clear to you. Quote, it was as if the sewer pit of hell had been emptied on Jesus, unquote. At that point, Jesus actually became sin for us. He became sin who knew no sin. And all of your sin, all of my sin, and the sins of the entire world were poured out upon Jesus Christ in that moment. And God had to turn away because it separates him. Had to turn away from his only begotten son. In that one minute, Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself for you, for me, for the entire world. 
You can summarize the effects of propitiation three ways. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, God's justice is now satisfied. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, God's wrath has been turned away. The price for sin has been paid. And because Jesus Christ died on the cross, God's mercy is now freely available to anybody who wants it. It's available to anybody who wants it. And at the end, every radio program that you have, J. Vernon McGee, they sing the beautiful song, All to Him I Owe, Sin Has Left a Crimson Stain. He Washed It White as Snow. See, God's heart is open to you because of Jesus Christ, because he has paid the full price. He's taken the wrath of God upon himself. He became propitiation for you. He stood in your place. He did what you couldn't do. He paid the debt. And on the cross, we see the full nature of God. Grace, eager to pardon those who trust in his son. You see, the death of Christ, he received the pardon for every sin of mankind in all history. There's not one sin that wasn't atoned on the cross of Jesus Christ except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is that? That's rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the one thing you're going to be asked. What did you do with my son? I didn't have any time for him. Oh, really? That's the one thing you're going to be asked. What did you do with my son? He's my Savior. I accepted him. You don't want to reject the Holy Spirit. You don't want to reject that leading if God is leading you today. John says, and this is the condemnation. The light came into the world, but they did not come to the light. They didn't know it. The only thing you're going to answer for when you stand before God, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the world. The sin of rejecting God and his love and his son, Jesus Christ. That's the one unforgivable sin. This is the condemnation. Light came into the world. But we wouldn't go to the light because our deeds were dark and evil. God isn't going to sit there with this long list of things that you did wrong as you stand before that great white throne. It's going to be one issue and one issue only. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Remember that great, beautiful time at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus looked at the disciples and he says, Who do men say that I am? And they started guessing. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're that prophet. Jesus says, and gets personal with them. He said, who do you say I am? It's the inescapable question. It's one that we all have to answer. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Peter stood up and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. When Jesus is answered, Simon, son of Jonah, flesh and blood didn't give you that. The Spirit gave you that. Because only by the Spirit can you declare Jesus is Lord. Who do you say he is? That's the one question that will be asked. God has made provisions for us in ways to conquer sin. We can never lose or change the sin nature that we've been born with. It will always be with us. But we do not need to obey its desires. If we walk in the light and we see sin as it actually is, we will hate it. And we will turn from it. And if we sin, we immediately confess to God, claiming his cleansing. And depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit, we abide in Christ and we walk as he walked. But it all begins with an openness and honesty before God and before mankind. The minute we start to act apart, I'm pretty holy. The minute we start trying to impress everybody with our holiness, with our holier-than-thou attitude, that people think that we're holy when we're really not, we step out of the light. And we step into the shadow of darkness. 
The life that is real cannot be built on deception. The life that is real must be built on truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ. Before we walk in the light, we must know ourselves. We must accept ourselves for who we are. We are sinners. And we must yield ourselves to God, know that we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved with him. And we yield ourselves to him. We have to look in the mirror that John is holding up to us. We must look in that mirror and realize who we are. And come to God in that vein, in that clarity. Lord, I come to you. I'm a sinner. I haven't matched your ideal. I've sinned. I've fallen short of your glory. But I know that Jesus paid for my sin. That Jesus died on the cross for me. And I accept that. That's how you come to God. It's foolish when we try to deceive others. Because God knows who you really are anyhow. This helps to explain why walking in the light makes life so much easier and joyful. When you walk in the light, there's only one person that I have to please. It's God. <laughs> I don't have to please myself. If I start trying to please man and start trying to please God at the same time, I can't serve two masters. I can't do it. Jesus said, I only do what pleases the Father. What is the one thing that we know through Scripture that pleases God? Faith. Faith. Pleases God, according to Hebrews. If we leave to please ourselves and God, we'll serve two masters, as I said, and this doesn't work. We get in trouble. John made it clear that the life that is real has no love for sin, and instead of trying to cover up sin, a true believer confesses sin and doesn't try to cover it up. He is a conqueror. I've overcome sin because of Jesus Christ, and I can walk in the light as God is in the light. He is not content Simply to know that I'm going to heaven. I want that full, real life now. The abundant life. So our life has to match our talk. Our walk must match our talk. Don't try to impress yourself. Don't try to impress others with your Christian holier-than-thou attitude. Don't try to impress the Lord. So John writes to you in hope that we don't sin. But should you fall? Should you sin? He says, be of good cheer. You have an advocate, someone to stand between you and the judge. Someone who has taken your sin upon himself and paid the ultimate penalty that you couldn't pay. And by doing this, he has reconciled you to God. And he has restored your fellowship with God. Great joy should satisfy your heart and you should be overwhelmed. Sin is no longer a barrier if you receive the propitiation that God has provided through Jesus Christ. And that's what John is saying here in these two short little verses. He said so much to us that we have to glean from. I have the victory over sin because it was already won on the cross. And I accept it by faith. I have that victory. And I know through God's word that Jesus is making intercession for me right now. Father, don't worry about that bumbling idiot. He's one of mine. I died for his sin. He's one of mine. He's the advocate. He's the propitiation. You see how it all adds up now? That we are free. And if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen? You are We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on A Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank available to listen to and even share with your friends and family. 
Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in 1 John or jump into another book of the Bible. A Sure Hope is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. If you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us this weekend. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and We'd be happy to meet you and hear your story. You'll find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. Look on our website for directions, as well as the various ministries that we offer. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand and we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for Church Online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. Well, this edition is coming to a close, but we're grateful that you've been a part of our listening audience today. Make sure you join us again next time for more from 1 John, where Pastor Dave has more to share about this book. We look forward to that time with you again as your heart is reminded of God's love here on A Sure Hope.